Strap on the boots and scrape up the knuckles. Oh, what a hit! He got jacked. This is the Big Red Ring. Presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Murray's going to score. Touchdown. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. <laughs> the Rage is brought to you by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Are you Santan Ford? State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 800-STATE-FARM. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. The Red Sea is rising up! Temperature rising, vision blurring, rage taking over. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm ready. I'm 100% ready. I'm telling you I'm ready. And Ron Wolfley. It doesn't get any better than that. Unleash the fury! If you get it right, you can get back into the postseason. Look at this past season. This time a year ago, Ron Wolfley, there were 10 teams in the market for a new head coach. Five of those teams got back into the playoffs. They got it right. And with a first-year head coach, boom, they got back into the postseason. And that's where the Arizona Cardinals are right now. What might be the most instrumental week of the 2023 season continues to unfold right under our noses here today in real time. It has been fluid, no doubt. We have gotten several coaching decisions across the NFL landscape, and we're here to break it all down and what exactly it means for the Arizona Cardinals on this edition of the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford Wolf. I know you've been on this all day, every day. So uh, you know what? It has been a fluid situation, has it not? Yeah, it has, Polly. There's no doubt about it. And the the dominoes are starting to fall right now. They really are. We know that the Arizona Cardinals have been meeting with Sean Payton, of course, today with their interview. We know that uh, Dan Quinn has declared that he's not going anywhere. He's going to stay right there in Dallas. That's breaking news. Um and not only that, we know that Frank Reich is going to be the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Things are starting to move right now. Polly, this is just me. I could be dead wrong on this, and I don't care if I am. But tomorrow, by tomorrow afternoon, I think we're going to find out a whole lot more as to where the Arizona Cardinals are going and who their head coach is going to be. That's interesting. We talked this time last week when the music stops. It's like musical chairs. Everybody better find a seat, right? Yep. And so the music has stopped. In a lot of ways. What exactly? Now, D'Amico Ryans is still out there, and nobody can talk to him again until after this coming weekend. There's a report late today that Denver has him installed as their number one choice. And you got to figure he's the hometown favorite in Houston, where he played for a decade and was a team captain. And the Texans fan base wants themselves some D'Amico Ryans. We don't know about ownership, but that's an evolving situation as well. But you mentioned Dan Quinn. He had a long interview with the Cardinals yesterday. Today we get the news, late today, that he is indeed staying as defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys and what he told Ed Werder, and I quote, unfinished business here in Dallas. My complete focus is helping the team play championship ball in 2023. So for the second straight year, Jerry Jones able to keep Dan Quinn as his defensive coordinator, and he declines head coaching opportunities. So is there a leader in the clubhouse for the Arizona Cardinals right now, Wolf? You, you talked about some of those guys who made decisions already. Just looking at the scorecard here, you got defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. You have Brian Flores, who was interviewed with the Cardinals at their headquarters. 
You have Sean Payton as of today. Now, I cite those three first because they all have previous head coach experience. Right. Which, in my mind, is is very important, especially yes. after the last two head coaches were first-time NFL head coaches. How about in your mind? Yeah, no, you're right about that, Paulie. It is. It's got to be a situation where you go the opposite direction a lot of the time. And sometimes you take a coach where you're focused more on one side of the ball and you'll go the opposite direction with with your next hire on the opposite side of the ball, of course. And that's the reason why I think that Vance Joseph... And Brian Flores, those two guys. Again, nobody, Paul, you know me. I don't break stories. This is not what I do. All right, I don't have sources. I'm just sitting here looking at all the information the way that we all are right now. I I, I honestly like the defensive-minded coach. Now, if you told me that Sean Payton was going to be the next coach of the Arizona Cardinals, I would be absolutely on board with that. I'd be fine with that right now. But you have to wonder what is going on with Sean Payton. We know that the Arizona Cardinals have been meeting with Sean Payton even today. Um, But for me, I think a defensive-minded coach actually – has a better chance of coaching this team going forward. And the reason why I say that, Paulie, it's because of three primary situations. Number one, separation from Kyler Murray. In other words, listen, I'm the head coach of this team. We're going to have to hire a legitimate offensive coordinator. We're going to have to hire a good quarterback coach, of course, to work with Kyler Murray. But I need to be the head coach of this team. And he needs to be the alpha in that room. You've heard me talk about that many, many times. The alpha inside that locker room. And I honestly think that that's one of the reasons why I favor the defensive side of the ball because he's going to have that built in separation from Kyler Murray. That's number one. Number two, defensive players like Isaiah Simmons, Zaven Collins, Marco Wilson. Uh, The number three pick, potentially, overall, could be a defensive player. Will Anderson is a guy that's been mocked out many times already to the Arizona Cardinals at number three. Uh, I think a defensive-minded coach would help those guys develop their game. And then thirdly and finally, Paul, defensive coaches, their souls are just more physically inclined (laughs) than offensive coaches. And I want to see that hard-nosed hardcore, physical football team, and I think a defensive-minded head coach has got a better chance of implementing that. For example, a Mike Vrabel, and I bring that up because Mike Vrabel is the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, and we're going to talk to their play-by-play man, longtime voice of the Titans, Mike Keith, momentarily on this edition of the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan, Ford, and Gilbert. It's the team where Monty Austin Ford comes from. The last three years, he had been with the Tennessee Titans, and we're going to get a scouting report on the Cardinals' new GM, but first... Let's hear from the Cardinals' new GM and what he's looking for in a head coach. The specifics in terms of, of leadership in developing players and coaches, in being a teacher of fundamentals, details, and techniques. We're trying to build a sustainable program here. This is not a short-term fix. So we want a, a coach that sees the big picture and understands that we're not happy with just the results of 2023. We're building this for extended championship teams as we move forward. He also used the phrase complete organizational alignment, and he's talking about a direct line of communication between the head coach and the GM. And Wolf, you know, we talk to players, we talk to people who've been around the league a long time. It's that line of communication and the working relationship between a head coach and a GM that can be the most important 
aspect of any successful organization. And the Cardinals' last opponent, the San Francisco 49ers, I think is a good example of that. Back in the day when they had Jim Harbaugh and they had Trent Baalke, they had talent. And they were going to NFC Championship games, but it wasn't sustainable because Baalke and Harbaugh, they didn't get along. Now look at the current situation with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, one plus one equals three. That's what you're looking for if you're the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, no, you're right, Paulie. And, you know, again, um, it doesn't mean that's going to be the deciding factor. It doesn't. But, boy, that's got to be a big thing that you're, you're a big box, so to speak, that you're checking right there. And that's why it's very interesting. Monty Ossenfort and Brian Flores. Right, Paulie? Yep, going back I mean, to the New England days. Yep, Going all the way back to the New England days and maybe sharing a football philosophy as well. I love the fact that right there, Monty Ossenfort was talking about fundamentals. He was talking about detail. He was talking about techniques. Paulie, that is that is the things that you think of, of, a, of a football player, building them from the ground up. From the ground up, is it's fundamentals. It's about the detail, the little things, the technique that a player is going to use. I, I, I love the words that I'm hearing from Monty Ossenford. And I do believe that a lot of what he's saying right now can also be applied to the next head coach coming in for the Arizona Cardinals because you've got to share the same vision. And that's the reason why the Brian Flores element is very appealing. And when I ask you this question, it's almost a rhetorical question because I know your answer. When I ask you, does a team take on the identity of its head coach, your answer would be? Yes. <laughs> Resoundingly so, right? Yeah, no, Paulie, it does. And um, it's one of the reasons why defensive-minded head coaches – uh, something that I like because they are. They're, they're just more physical. They demand it. They demand physicality from their defensive guys. And because of that, um, I think you flop it over and you put a head guy up in front of the entire team. He's going to do the same thing offensively. I know offensive line coaches many, many times, they talk about being physical. I know running back coaches as well. They'll talk about being physical. But for the most part, more times than not, there's always going to be exceptions that are out there, Paulie. But more times than not, defensive-minded head coaches talk more about physicality and toughness and the old way of doing things than offensive-minded head coaches. So if you're Brian Flores or you're Vance Joseph, probably the big question you have to answer, who is your offensive coordinator? What is your answer on that that side of the ball? You know, for Dan Quinn, for example, once upon a time when he went to Atlanta, who was his OC to start with? Kyle Shanahan. So if one of those candidates, Vance Joseph or Brian Flores, has the next Kyle Shanahan – in the fold, the next great offensive mind, that goes a long way, I would think, towards being hired. And then if you're Sean Payton, well, there's the aspect of what are you going to pay Sean Payton? What are you going to pay the New Orleans Saints in terms of compensation and or picks? You know, there are other things involved with Sean Payton, who's obviously a proven head coach, who has a Super Bowl ring. He has that experience. And then he would be that exceptional offensive mind who would have to connect and click with Kyla Murray and try and bring him along. So there's a lot to be evaluated here. And I tell you, a quick word on Vance Joseph, just from where I'm sitting, nobody knows this organization and this roster better yes. than Vance Joseph. Yes, so, Paulie. So I think and he, that's, yeah. 
that's something that gives him an advantage over the others. Yeah, very detailed, advanced understanding to this team. Mike Key, Titans play-by-play man, is next. We'll talk about ego will not be tolerated. What does that mean on the Big Red Rage? We're going to focus on a completely unified message across the general manager, the head coach, and ownership to what exactly we want to be as a football organization. We're going to institute a thorough and exhaustive scouting process. We are going to turn over every stone to find the right players for this team. We are not just collecting talent, we're going to build a team. We're going to look for the right type of players. Ego will not be tolerated in this organization. We are going to look for focused, driven, and people that are willing to put the team first at every step of the way. That is the Cardinals' new voice of leadership. The new GM, Monty Ossenford. One of the more memorable quotes from Monty's opening press conference. Just the first external candidate to be hired by the Cardinals as sole GM since, wait for it, and we have been waiting, the 1970s. How about that? It's Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley. And uh, 21 years NFL experience for Monty Austin for Wolf, as you know. Last three as director of player personnel with the Tennessee Titans. We're very familiar with the Titans radio analyst, the former <laughs> Cardinals head coach Dave McGinnis. It was our pleasure to visit with Coach Mack back in August. What's his go-to line, by the way? I got two things going for me, good hair and a lot of money. That's what he used to say. <laughs> That's right. A lot of hair, a lot of money. So how about, how about we talk to the guy who's laughing, his longtime radio partner, the voice of the Tennessee Titans for the last quarter century plus going into his 26th season. Mike Keith is our guest. And, Mike, I don't know about you, but one day, just one day, I'd love to match the energy of Coach Mack. I don't think it'll happen for me. I know that. He's, <laughs> he's amazing. And, you know, we, we call him the most interesting man in the NFL because everywhere we go, we run into people who, oh, Coach Mack this, Coach Mack that. And it's not like people who are just, you know, folks. It's like famous people. It's like Joe, the Joe Greens <laughs> and all these coaches and sure. all, all these great players. It's like, what? How do you know it? Somehow, he knew Bronco Nagurski. I know he did. I know he did. <laughs> right. Well, hey, you tell us about Monty Osivor. Give us a few quick thoughts, uh, and then we'll get into some specific questions. I know Wolf has a lot of questions, but just give us a thumbnail and how long you've known Monty and what you've come to know. Well, got to know him here over the last two years because I did not know him in the COVID year. Um, he came here from New England, and there was a there was a speculation, you know, he was mentioned as one of the one of the really bright minds in New England, and there was some thought that he needed to go somewhere else where he could prove that he was also a bright mind other than Bill Belichick. And, you know, to a certain extent, anybody who works in personnel there doesn't really get noticed very much. And so uh, coming to Tennessee having the opportunity to work with his old friend John Robinson and a group of other people that he became really good friends with in a short period of time. And like I said, I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years. One of the more popular people on the football side with the non-football folks, meaning he's a really good guy. And I know that doesn't get you anywhere, but what it does do is it, it gives you a start 
that you don't have if you come in and, and you're talking about things in ways. Here's what we're not going to let you do. You're never going to see us. We're never going to talk to you. This is never going to happen. It's all a secret. This is a guy with a good personality, uh, a guy who is genuinely somebody who's fun to hang around with, but he's got all the requisite skills that come from being trained in the way that he was. And that discipline, what you heard him talking about, and how they're going to approach things will will work with his style overall. And that's because he will be able to blend the personality and the fact that he gets along with folks with that discipline of how he's going to do that job based on that Patriots training. I guess in a long way what I'm saying is I think you sort of get the best of both worlds with Monty Asad for it. So, Mike, following up on that right there, would you say that Monty had any kind of connection or relationship with Mike Vrabel as well? Or did Mike Vrabel value Monty Ossenfort because of the organization he was coming from? You know, I think so. I think there was certainly something there. He would have been a very late-tenure guy in Mike's time as a player with the Patriots. But, you know, there's a lot of respect among that sort of fraternity. Uh, He and John Robinson certainly had it, even though they didn't really know each other very well. When Robinson hired Vrabel, there was this perception, oh, they were big pals with, you know, with the the Patriots. You know how this works. Wolf, I mean, the the players don't know all of the scouts very well. They may know them to say hi or come across them in the weight room or the – the locker room or something, but it's, it's not a, it's not that way. I, I do think there's a respect for the way they go about their business. And, you know, that's the thing that the Patriots have done so well is they have been able to identify people who fit with their system overall to plug in these great pieces around the Brady's and the Gronkowski's and the yes. Richard Seymour's and people of that. Ilk. They have somehow found people in different ways, you know, they've, they've signed a lot of great free agents that other people went, what? And yet they go in there and have really successful careers. Or you draft a guy like Kevin Falk, and what did he play, 34 years there? He caught like <laughs> 9 million passes. And, 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 but, that, but he was perfect for them, right? right? And so I think that's what Monty has helped do well here in his time and has certainly learned from Belichick about how you're going to piece together not just the one through ten. I think a lot of us could get the one through ten. It's the 11 through 69, counting the practice squad. That's really the trick. And that's where I think that Austin Fort training and what he's going to get across to staff is going to show up. I think the Cardinals will be a much deeper team in terms of players that can help them over a period of time. Mike Keith is our guest, longtime voice of the Titans here on the Big Red Rage, presented by Santan, Ford, and Gilbert, because you heard the one line in there that got the most attention here in the AZ, and it's, ego will not be tolerated in this organization. Most people would attribute that to Belichick. Wolf played for Belichick once upon a time. I think he concurs. He's talked about that. To what degree is that a part of the culture of the Titans? And do you think Monty is that guy to enforce that? Because the ownership group has talked, and Michael Bidwell in particular, about how this team needs more accountability. Can Monty be that guy? Yeah, I think you can see it here. I mean, that's what we've done with the Titans over the period of the last seven years. 
And obviously it didn't work out well this year with, with the rundown of the season, but I don't think it was because of anything the locker room. There, there's an accountability that has gone on, and it's a big thing with Vrabel, and it's obviously a big thing with the, the Patriots, that the locker room polices the locker room. And the, the guys have an understanding of where the pieces fit. A, a lot of veteran players have come here over the last five years and have just loved the culture because it's like, look, I, all I got to do is go play ball. Nobody um, is, is any better than anybody else. Uh, Vrabel talked about it when he first came. He goes, listen, I'm going to be an equal opportunity deliverer of grief. I didn't say that exactly the way Vrabel would say it, but the point was one of the first practices Vrabel ever held, he gave the business to our quarterback at the time, Marcus Mariota. And you're like, whoa, this guy's saying something to the quarterback? Not because Marcus was soft or whatever, but just normally you don't hear the coach crack on the quarterback much. It just doesn't happen. Vrabel did. And because he's an equal opportunity guy in terms of sticking it to people – he sticks it to the best guy or the worst guy and everybody in between. And I think that's probably a lot of what Monty's talking about. I don't think he's talking about it like genuine ego. I think what he's talking about is we're going to be an all 53. We're going to be an all in. We're, we're going to out tough people in this way mm. because we're going to be sticking together. You know, when the bullets are flying, we're going to be there hanging in and hanging in and we're going to we're going to out tough you over a period of time. The Patriots don't get as much credit for that over the years. I think because of Brady, but there were so many games you said they have no chance to win because they're playing Troy Brown in the secondary and they're doing all these weird things that and and yet they find a way because they just keep fighting. Um, that's been the tendency here and the thing that has gone well, and I, I think you're going to see him try to bring that sort of culture there. I don't want to speak for Monty, but I just know he believes in this sort of thing. He believes in having guys who are going to fight and fight and fight and who are going to fit. Yeah. Mike, you know what? Honestly, when I think of the Tennessee Titans, man, I do. I, I think of a team that is tough. I think a team that is physical, smart, high-effort guys, and – I know in the two years that I played for Bill Belichick uh, in Cleveland, he wanted smart, tough, disciplined football players. He just assumed Mm -hmm. you were going to be physical, but he wanted smart, tough, and disciplined guys. That's what he was looking for right there. And every guy, whether it was a draft pick, whether it was a free agent, every guy was pulled through that filter before he walked inside that locker room. I, I look at you guys. And I think that's the way you guys are as well to some degree. And based on what you just said right there, it certainly sounds like that. Well, it, it's just a part of the – I think the smart thing really stands out, Ron, because that that part of it is such an advantage if you're not jumping <laughs> off sides at the wrong moment. Right. If, if you're not – you know, if you don't get grabby on a jump ball late in the game, if you're just doing all the smart things in the kicking game, you know, it comes down to one play, to, to one opportunity. It's like pretty much what San Francisco did against Dallas yep. over the weekend. You know, 
were they that much better? I don't know, but it just seemed like every time there was a slight moment where there could be a play to be made, San Francisco did it better. And yeah. that's that's a lot of why this Tennessee team has won the way they have overall over the period of the last seven years and under the five years that, that – uh, Mike Vrabel's been the head coach. I think those sorts of things, you're looking for that edge. And, and the most overused phrase right now, I think, in terms of evaluation is, he loves ball. Well, but there's a lot of truth to it because there are a lot of kids growing up today who don't, you know? <laughs> and And I'm sure the Cardinals have encountered some. The Titans have certainly encountered some. But fighting your way through that, getting through this generation and understanding that you've got to find some guys because this is a job, it's hard, a lot of it's no fun, and to do it well, you've got to put in those 10,000 hours and become a master. You have to live it. You've got to find those people, and it's a key. Well, his assistant GM, he just hired Dave Sears from the Detroit Lions. They've made that their mantra, literally, to sure. find that kind of player. That's what Dan Campbell and Chris Spielman and Brad Holmes, that's what they've done in turning around the Lions, and we saw it happen the tail end of this season. So, Mike, thank you very much. I mean, we hear Monty talk about complete organizational alignment, and that was his phrase. We think of the Titans. We think yeah. of the Patriots. And, you know, we got a taste of that in August. They're out there for the joint practice. And so we'll see. We'll see if he can replicate that sort of accountability. Because, look, I know that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the detail-oriented decision-makers, a head coach and a GM, and being aligned in that fashion. The little things are big things in the NFL. We know that all from experience. Mike, thank you so much for the insight. We appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Mike. There you go. Mike Keith, longtime voice of the Titans. I'm Monty Ford. We continue with a Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Riley Patterson trotting to the ball, swings his leg through. It's end over end. It bounces. It's slippery, but it was fallen upon by Kadarius Tony of the Chiefs, and that's going to do it. Chiefs are going to get the onside kick recovered at the 46-yard line. Jacksonville can't stop it, and the Chiefs are going to go to the AFC Championship game for the fifth consecutive year. Burrow takes a knee, and it's over. The winning continues for Cincinnati. The Bengals are going back to the AFC Championship game. They have won 10 in a row. And they will make an appearance in the conference championship for consecutive years for the first time in franchise history. 27 to 10, the final here in Orchard Park, New York. And that's how it signed it, right? On Westwood won the final calls there from the divisional round, advancing to the AFC championship game, second straight year, the Natty going to KC. Or as some of the Bengals players said on the sideline, Wolf, we're going to quote, Burrowhead, not Arrowhead, <laughs> but Burrowhead is what some of the Bengals were saying. Not Joe Burrow himself, but because Joe Burrow is 3-0 all time. 
in fact, in the last 13 months or so against Patrick Mahomes. So a lot of confidence by Cincinnati going into KC, a Kansas City team that is going to host its fifth straight AFC championship game. It is a Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, and we know what happened last year. You had Cincinnati getting down 21-3 and coming all the way back, tying the game, then winning in overtime. And actually, the Bengals are installed as a slight favorite by the Vegas odds makers. Your thoughts on that, Wolf? Incredible, Paulie, when you stop and think about that right now. The Cincinnati Bengals own the Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) It's the only way you can look at it, Paulie, right now. To beat them three times, the last three times, I is there is there any other team out there that owns the Kansas City Chiefs to that degree? Nope. Who's beat them the last? No, there isn't, Paulie. And not only that, too. You got to go inside those games right there as well. Cincinnati had leads of 18, 14, and seven in those three games. They, Paul, they never trailed going into the fourth quarter. They had leads in all three of those games going into the fourth quarter. Now, again, I'm not saying they didn't lose the lead in the fourth quarter. I'm saying going into the fourth quarter. They they know how to play against the Kansas City Chiefs, and so much of that is exactly what we saw against the Buffalo Bills. Did you see the Bengals line up and run the ball? Hammer the ball. I mean, they ran Joe for a Mixon. buck seventy-two as a team with three backup offensive linemen, hundred and seventy-two rushing yards by Cincinnati. It was brilliant by Zach Taylor to actually call the game the way that he was. They came out and they threw the ball in that first half. Joe Burrow, I think, had 27, 27 passing attempts. They ran the ball. They did. They they kept it balanced, but he had twenty-seven pass attempts in the first half. And in the second half, man, they came out. And they put the plow down, literally (laughs) hammered the ball in between the tackles. And that's how the Bengals also beat the Chiefs, running the ball and doing it in a very direct north-south fashion with Joe Mixon. This this game is going to be fascinating. I think both games are going to be really, really good. It's amazing when you run the ball how you can protect your quarterback as well. Just one sack by Buffalo of Joe Burrow despite three backups in that offensive line. 30 first downs by Cincinnati. After the game, Eli Apple said it was never close. That was his quote, right? And then, and then just how motivated the Bengals were by the fact there was a neutral site game they are already selling tickets for for Buffalo against Kansas City. And Joe Burrow after the game telling the sideline reporter on CBS, quote, better get those refunds sent out. So, look, any team will take anything they can in the playoffs to rally around yes. something. That has been the motivational aspect for a Cincinnati team that, Wolf, let's talk about their defense real quick. I mean, they held Josh Allen and Buffalo to 4-12 on third downs. They forced a three and out three different times. I mean, they they hit Josh Allen eight times, held him just a field goal in the second half. Yes. What do you think about the Bengals' defense against Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, man, it's it's incredible because if you look at the numbers right now, it's not good. It, it it's just not good. It's the Bengals don't have a a great pass rush. They don't. Anytime you think of, you know, okay, you got to get after Patrick Mahomes, you better have a pass rush right there. They don't have a great pass defense. Um, Patrick Mahomes, I was mesmerized, Paulie. I just want to say this right now. 
This guy, I absolutely love Pat Mahomes because not only is he a smart football player, not only does he understand the game of football, not only is he incredibly talented, his arm talent is second to none. Nobody in the league, maybe Aaron Rodgers still, but nobody in the league has the arm talent that he has. Also, he can pull it down and run. But, Paulie, I honestly didn't comprehend just how tough Pat Mahomes is. And that is something that, as a former fullback in the National Football League, I'm going to jettison him up on top of my list once again when it comes to the best quarterbacks in the league because of how tough that dude is. You saw it in NFL Films. They tweeted out a clip today how irate he was in the sideline that Andy Reid took him out of the game. Yes. Made him go into the locker room and get some x-rays. Wouldn't put him into the game unless the x-rays were negative. And, I mean – he was legitimately hot about that. And, and Wolf, you know how the rest of the team embraces that, right? Especially from the highly yes. paid quarterback. If he has that sort of mentality, then guess what? There's no excuse why everyone else can't have that sort of mentality. Which, which brings us back to Joe Burrow. Because I remember vividly the two of us having a conversation about Joe Burrow this time last year. And just talking about, you know what the Bengals culture is? The Bengals culture is Joe Burrow. <laughs> That's what it is. And we were talking with Kyle Vandenbosch about Joe Burrow on the Red Sea Report, and we forgot about Kyle's, let's just say, very unique connection to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, when I was at Nebraska, uh, I played with his two brothers. They both played defense. Uh, Jamie Burrow was in my recruiting class in my uh, freshman year roommate, and so little Joe Burrow would come around um, when he was a baby, and, and I held Joe Burrow when he was a baby, so I got him started down a, a successful football career just by the advice I gave him when he was a baby. Oh, man, boy. Come on, man. He deadpan the end, but that's a true story. So how about that? That's, uh, that's very... Very interesting, but I tell you what, I just I can't get enough of Joe Burrow and just watching him play. And then obviously we saw firsthand what what Patrick Mahomes did week one against the Cardinals, three touchdown drives in the first three possessions of the game, and I, it was they were off to a ridiculous season again in the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, to what degree, Wolf, do you expect a shootout? in this one yeah. just based on the quarterbacks yeah you know so much of that i think paulie is going to be predicated on what the weather is like down in arrowhead um as you know sometimes it can get nasty down there yep. other times you get not a cloud in the sky now it might be chilly i'm sure it's going to be uh cold down there but you know i i don't really know what to expect except for a great game i, I uh, joe burrow right now when you talk about the best quarterbacks in the National Football League, Paulie, you have to put him in there. You have to. And I think coming into this season, it was kind of a, you know, well, he's he's maybe number five, number six, somewhere in there. Um, after this season and what he's done and the way that he's got his team on a roll, yeah, it's right at the top. When you're talking about the best quarterbacks in the league, you have to put Joe Burrow right there. I tell you, as the Cardinals hit the reset button, I'll give you my theory when I come when we come back here on the Big Red Rage, and you tell me if I'm on track or off base. A reminder, you can join the season ticket priority list and select your seats before the general public. And I tell you, this year's opponent list at home is big time. Not only the Seahawks, 49ers, and Rams, but you have the Giants, the Cowboys, the Ravens, the Falcons, and yes, Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Just go to azcardinals.com slash priority list. More Big Red Rage right after this. That'll do it. And the road to the Super Bowl runs through Philadelphia. The Eagles are in. 
the NFC Championship game, knocking off the Giants 38-7. And the top seed in the NFC looked every bit the part on this Saturday night in Philly. So Zeke Elliott over the football. He's going to snap it to Prescott. Prescott back to pass, throws left, caught by Turpin, hit and dropped. After all that, they throw it to Turpin, tackled at the 30, and the game is over. For a second straight year, the 49ers are going to the NFC Championship game. San Francisco 19, Dallas 12. The 49ers will go to Philly with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. There you go, a pair of calls on Westwood 1. Niners seeking their eighth Super Bowl in team history. The Eagles seeking their fourth Super Bowl in their team history. And Wolf, there's more than one way to build a team. Here's my theory on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley. And it's not exactly breaking news, but look at the three best teams in the AFC we just saw have the three best quarterbacks in the NFL, I would argue, in Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and Josh Allen. Yes. The three best teams remaining in the NFC would be the three best at getting to the quarterback between the Eagles and their 70 sacks and the 49ers and that number one ranked defense and their defense in front and Nick Bosa, the NFL defensive player of the year, almost as certainly, and then the Dallas Cowboys and defensively Micah Parsons and what they're able to do getting to the quarterback. So, you know, if you can take one path or the other, it's amazing to me how NFL football still boils down to the quarterback and or getting to the quarterback. Yeah, Paulie, and when you're talking about getting to the quarterback, you're talking about two defenses on the NFC side in the NFC championship game here in the Philadelphia Eagles and the 49ers. That's what they do. That is who they are. The Philadelphia Eagles, the number one pass defense in the National Football League, number one, Paulie, in passing yards per game, number one in passing yards per play. Not only that, Paul, number one in getting after the quarterback. That's what they do. What also is so interesting about that is the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, Paul, is the best offensive line in football to me for, for my money the best offensive line in football. They are brutal. They allow all of their talent to go out and do what talent does. You hear me say this all the time, but you've got talent like Jalen Hurts. you got Miles Sanders, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. you got hardcore talent in the Philadelphia Eagles. Dallas Goddard. But, Paulie, yeah, okay, Paulie. Yeah, he's a hard worker. He's really, really good as a tight end. No doubt. I'm talking about this raw talent that you have this offensive line is so good it makes that talent that much better and it's one of the reasons why the Eagles have had the season that they have it's their offensive line that is the secret sauce yeah and I do not disagree with that Jason Kelsey the planet's best center he's an all-pro Lane Johnson an all-pro their left tackle is 6'8 365 he's a pro bowl alternate that's going to be a huge matchup against Nick Bosa there's no question about that so let me ask you this if both teams are excellent at getting to the quarterback and they are which quarterback is more equipped to handle the pressure and handle that defensive front. (laughs) And is this finally where Brock Purdy looks like a rookie? We know Brock Purdy, (laughs) 7-0 and 7 starts, the 2017 Arizona Cardinals High School Player of the Year from Gilbert. We get all that. We know what he's looked like, but what do you think he's going to look like 
against against a, a, an Eagles defense that has four guys with 11 or more sacks apiece, including former <laughs> Cardinal Hassan Reddick with 16 and a half. Yeah, and they've got the ageless one, Brandon Graham, on the other <laughs> side. He's got 11 sacks. What is he, 34 years old? He's a dude. He, Paul, yeah. he is a dude. The Philadelphia Eagles can get after you, but – you know, so can the 49ers. Brock Purdy, I've been saying this for the longest time, that at some point in time with Brock Purdy as their quarterback, the 49ers, if they're going to win a Super Bowl, they're going to need Brock Purdy, Paul, to bring them back in a game in the fourth quarter at some point in time. It's got to happen. It happens to almost every team as you continue to go on in the playoffs. Rarely do you just lead a team and waylay them from the very beginning, the first quarter all the way through, and win the game. But at some point, the 49ers are going to need Brock Purdy to win a game for him in the fourth quarter. Can he do it against the Philadelphia Eagles defense? And once again, it's just not the fact that they can get pressure on a quarterback with their 70 sacks, as you said, and number one in sacks per attempt. But they're also number six in interception ratio. That's turning over a quarterback. You put the two together, getting pressure on that quarterback and turning a quarterback over, that's one of the reasons why they're as good as they are defensively. Can it happen? I, I don't know. Can Brock Purdy really say to himself, I know I'm in this situation. I know if I win this game, we're going to the Super Bowl. I know that we're down by three points. I know there's only three minutes left on the clock. Can I actually take my team down the field and throw a touchdown pass and win the game? Because that's what every kid dreams of, Paulie. Every kid dreams that scenario. And yet, that scenario could come to fruition for Brock Purdy. I'm not going to bet against the kid. (laughs) Even when I say all of that, I'm not going to bet against him because there's a something-something that he's got, and I like that. And he's got a great roster around him. Don't count the 49ers out of this game. Recent history, though, says he's not going to get it done. The last four rookie quarterbacks who have started a conference championship game have lost. That list includes a Mark Sanchez, a Big Ben. But Brock Purdy is the first rookie quarterback to start a conference title game in the last 13 years. That is the stat right there. He has two playoff wins under his belt already. He has no turnovers in those two playoff games. And on third down against Dallas, and do you think that Dallas has a pass rush? Yes, they do. Again, third down against Dallas, he went 8 of 11 for 64 yards. So he was money in money moments. Paul, think about this right here. Brock Purdy could win a Super Bowl before he loses his first game as a quarterback. (laughs) I didn't think about that. Think about that, Paulie. Can you imagine? I mean, that is legit. If they go ahead and they beat Philadelphia, somehow, some way, they find a way to do it. They're going to the Super Bowl, and that means Brock Purdy is going to get a shot. Can you imagine if he actually wins a Super Bowl <laughs> before he loses his first game? That is stunning. You know, we talked about the leadership and, and the culture set by Patrick Mahomes, how tough he was, especially in that last game. Just Joe Burrow, what he's done for Cincinnati. Think about this. The Bengals had not won a playoff game in 31 years until Joe Burrow had won a yes. playoff game last season. So now you get around to a Brock Purdy. He's still pretty young. He's got seven starts under his belt. But look at second-year guy Jalen Hurts. And and what Dallas Goddard was saying about Jalen Hurts and what he said before their playoff opener 
that with everyone in the locker room, he stood up and he said, I'm not just hungry, I'm starving for this bleep. And, and he said, whatever Jalen Hurts does, he sets the tone for the entire team and everybody follows along with that. He is the unquestioned leader of this place, quote-unquote Dallas Goddard. So to me, when Kyler Murray sees this and, and the type of quarterback that has made it to the conference title yeah. game, yeah. I think there's a lot to learn there for every young quarterback. Yeah, no, that's great, Paulie. It really is. And when the season started, the only question I had for the Philadelphia Eagles was Jalen Hurts. That was that was the only question that I had. And, you know, it's interesting because if you look at the, the AFC championship game, as we just talked about with Joe Burrow, of course, and Patrick Mahomes, then you look at the NFC and you've got two guys – that are going to have to prove something. We know Brock Purdy. <laughs> oh my goodness! You talk about when you talk about a guy, a quarterback that needs to prove something. Think of Brock Purdy. He is the definition of that—a quarterback yep. that needs to prove something. But also is Jalen Hurts, because coming into the season with the Philadelphia Eagles, there were a lot of pundits locally in Philadelphia that we're talking about. Uh, Dudes just don't know if they can actually get it done with Jalen Hurts. And look at the kind of season this young guy has had. I am rooting for Jalen Hurts. The Eagles this year, when he starts, they're 15-1. So that's what you need to know about Jalen Hurts. And by the way, we talk all about the quarterbacks and and the defense. And uh, How about the run game? We know the Eagles just ran for 268 against the Giants, but... Philly's run defense was 16th this year, and we know how Kyle Shanahan and that Niners offense can run themselves some football. So we'll see how the Eagles' run defense fares in this one on Sunday. A reminder, it's episode 55 of the Dave Pash Podcast with actor and comedian Frank Caliendo. I laugh just thinking about that podcast. Follow along on Twitter at PashPod. Hey, for Jim Almohandro, Cody Fincher, and Ron Wolfley, I'm Paul Calvisi. This has been the Big Red Rage. You've been listening to The Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Are you Santan Ford? State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 800-STATE-FARM. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club.